Hey, welcome back for another episode of Legal Marketing Radio. So in this episode, we're talking tech, and we've got a guest who understands the relationship between technology and the business of operating a law firm as well as anyone. Nicole Black is an attorney, author, and legal technology evangelist for MyCase. MyCase is a complete case management solution for law firms that provides the tools they need to improve organization, become more efficient, and scale their operations as needed. And Nicole has written books such as Cloud Computing for Lawyers and, with her co-author Carolyn Elephant, Social Media for Lawyers. Nicole also writes articles for a wide range of publications, and she speaks at conferences around the country about the ways in which technology and the law intersect. So Nicole came on the show to speak with us about topics that include how attorneys and law firms can implement new technologies thoughtfully, as well as the potential role of AI and big data in a law firm's practice in the near future. Before we get started, just a quick reminder, if you're not already familiar with LaFleur, we're a full-service digital marketing partner that works with law firms across the country to deliver data-driven solutions that grow their businesses and build their brands. To learn more about us, just check out our website at lafleur.marketing. That's L-A-F-L-E-U-R dot marketing. We've got all kinds of other great resources there, including in-depth blog articles, books, infographics, and more episodes of this podcast. All right, let's get started and catch up with Nicole Black on this week's episode of Legal Marketing Radio from LaFleur. Okay, uh, Nicole Black. Nicole, do you like to go by Nikki or Nicole? Um, you know, I answer to either. Nikki's fine. Okay. I guess. Okay. We'll go with Nikki. Um, Nikki Black, uh, welcome to Legal Marketing Radio. So I know your interest in, in tech kind of even goes back further than, you know, your work with my case in legal tech, right? I think I read somewhere that you actually did some programming back in the day. So you're, you're tech bona fide. You have a little more street cred than the average person who's just talking about this from coming from a non-technical standpoint. Well, I mean, that's true, but it's just an interest. I mean, I in my freshman year in college, I was at Case Western my freshman year, and I took um, past, well, actually, I learned basic when I was much, much younger, when my dad brought home a TRS-80 computer, and the only way you could make it work was to learn the rudimentary basics of um, basic programming language, to, like, make it play Pong and stuff. So way mm-hmm. back when, when mm-hmm. I was 12, I learned how to, you know, use basic, that, that particular language, to an extent. And mm-hmm. then my freshman year in college, I took, it was a programming class, but for liberal arts majors. So we took the same course that the engineers took, but it was not quite as, um, the deadlines were a little more flexible. It just wasn't quite as stressful. So I learned how to program in Pascal and I made the uh, mastermind game. That was my final project for that class. And then, um, you know, then there wasn't a lot of opportunities in college and even in law school was just a tech technological black hole. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but once I came out of law school in 95, my mother was in grad school at SU. Oh, oh actually I watched Star Trek all through law school. So that was my, <laughs> that's the one, the one Avenue. You had. Yeah. Star Trek, the next generation is what kept me going in law school. <laughs> I actually left the final early so that I could go to the opening of one of the movies that had come out. So, oh, that's but, um, but then in 95, when I graduated and was studying for the bar, my mom was taking graduate classes at Syracuse University and we had internet access and not a lot of people did back then. Mm-hmm. And so I was on the internet in 95. I actually met my husband online in 95. Oh, that's um, cool. he was, he's in Idaho. But so, you know, I've always been really interested. Oh, I also programmed, I made a web page for my the law firm that I worked for 
in 2003, I used um, Dreamweaver okay. and made them a website way back when law firms didn't have websites. So I, I've always been really interested in tech, but it was always very peripheral. But I always found ways to kind of weave it into my, you know, day-to-day life and ultimately ended up with a strong focus on it, I guess. Yeah, very cool. So I want to talk about, you know, tech and the law and and maybe start a little broad and then get more specific. So just in general, you know, I'm wondering for you, and, and especially as this applies to maybe, you know, not so much, you know, the big firms that have the biggest resources, um, the most cutting edge firms, but, you know, for kind of your average medium sized to smaller law firms, um, what are some of the most important ways that technology is changing the way that lawyers at those firms practice or should practice and the way that they do business in general, including, you know, interacting with their clients and whatever. Well, I think what solo and small firm lawyers really need to realize is that technology <clears throat> is leveling the playing field. And if they use it mm-hmm. in a, a thoughtful manner, they really can find ways to compete with the larger firms in ways they never could have um, before the advent of these new types of technologies. Um, the new types of technologies that are really have been pivotal and will continue to be are um, the internet and then mobile computing and cloud computing. And um, AI is now starting to truly be impactful as well. But those, the first three tools, the internet and then mobile and cloud computing have made it so that lawyers can practice law from any internet enabled device, access all their firm's information using cloud computing and mobile devices. you know, bill on the go, access all their law firm's data on the go, um, respond to client inquiries by looking at their files, no matter where they happen to be. So they're no longer tethered to the office. They can get this information anywhere they happen to be. You know, you wake up in the middle of the night because you think you may have missed a statute of limitations deadline, or you're not sure if your secretary sent something out, you can log on and immediately put that out of your mind and see that it was sent out or was handled. Um, Back in the day, when that was my situation, I would just have to make a write a note down, worry about it all night and run into the office and double check and make sure that it had gotten sent out the door. Mm-hmm. But these days, that's just, you know, you can get those answers instantaneously. So I really do think that those, the most impactful areas really have been cloud, mobile, and internet access in and of itself. And then AI is really becoming impactful. But at the end of the day, what all those tools are doing is also allowing lawyers to automate aspects of their practice, to have much more efficient practices, much more efficient access to information, to start automating um, payment uh, so they can um, enter time and billing on the go. That's automatically added to an invoice. Then they can go back um, or check from their phone, see the invoice, and even send the invoice off from their phone, and their client can receive it, click on the payment link within the invoice, and pay instantaneously on their credit card. So it's before it removes all those manual steps we used to have when we worked with paper, sending invoices out, and also makes it so their clients can pay instantaneously. So there's just so many different options and ways to automate your practice and automate the ways that you run your practice, the way that you market your practice, the way that you um, interact with your files on a day-to-day basis that really streamline, make things way more efficient and allow lawyers in small firms to compete with much larger firms in ways they weren't able to before. Right. Um- now you mentioned that you know that that technology offers that promise of being able to level a playing field, but that assumes you know that the the firms implementing it are doing so thoughtfully. You know, I just want to follow up and ask you know what does that thoughtful implementation mean to you, and what are some of the key considerations that firms need to make 
as they're maybe taking these steps and evaluating their options? Well, the first thing they need to do, whether it's you know implementing new technology, choosing how they're going to um, the, you know market their firm online. Whenever I talk to lawyers about these different topics, you have to determine what your goals are. What are you trying to achieve? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to first identify those goals, and then you need to determine how are these tools that you're going to use, how are they going to help you accomplish these goals, and how can you do it in the most efficient and cost-effective manner. So that means once you've identified your goals, assessing the tools that are out there, doing research, um, determining what's out there, and then comparing those options, and then deciding which tools are going to meet your needs the best, and then implementing them into your law firm. And and what I mean by thoughtful is you can't just randomly purchase a whole bunch of technology and then put it to work. You really want to understand what you're trying to achieve, what your pain points are, and then try and solve those pain points rather than just blindly adopting the latest technologies. Because some firms may just need um, a streamlined billing, um, billing tool. They may not um, be interested in a client portal. Some firms really may want a client portal because um, it's going to help reduce all the administrative time that's required to deal with all these client inquiries. They may have like high caseloads. Um, you need to identify, and some firms may have all those different issues and they might, may want um, practice management software that's going to help them address all those issues. So it's really important to address what your pain points are up front, depending on your practice areas and um, the way that your firm bills, for example, the practice areas that are handled, the types of clients you have. And then choose technology selectively that's going to help you address those pain points. Yeah. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, You know, I'm wondering, you know, obviously that uh, technology and various, you know, innovations, apps, uh, client portals and things have a lot of opportunity to, you know, make life easier for attorneys. I wonder how you see them as a lawyer yourself too. Um, changing clients' expectations from their attorneys. You know, one of the uh, guests we had on in just the last couple podcasts uh, said something to the effect of, you know, when you're evaluating your law firm, and as you said, your, your pain points, you know, the, the things that your uh, clients are looking for from you, you need to compare your customer service to everything they interact with and ask yourself, you know, is your customer service and your experience as good as Amazon's or as good as, you know, whatever other tools they're using? Um, do you find that to be true that, you know, experiences that clients are having in other fields that are technology related are kind of trickling over to their expectations for their attorneys? I think it depends on the um, clients. With most consumer clients, that's definitely the case, mm. um, meaning individual clients versus larger businesses, which is what the vast majority of solo and small firm lawyers are dealing with in any event. Yeah. But consumer clients are definitely, um, you know, they're 21st century consumers. And they expect instantaneous access to information 24-7 because that's what they get everywhere. That's what they get from their um, bank. That's what they get. Uh, one example I like to use is when we refinanced our mortgage years ago, I went into our bank and sat around for an hour and a half and they were, I was late for an appointment. They were still copying things. And I got really annoyed. So I looked at my options online and you know there are online um, there are companies that are online that allow you to refinance your mortgage completely online using client portals. And I did mm-hmm. that and it was a much, I, it was so much quicker. It was so much easier than um, working with my bank would have been. And so I refinanced my mortgage through this other company online 
because they had an online portal. I could upload all my documents. I didn't have to wait around. I could do it in the middle of the night. You know, I could respond to their inquiries whenever I wanted to using the client portal. And that's what, you know, legal consumers are often expecting. And they don't have the time to play phone tag. They want answers to simple questions sometimes, and they don't understand why they can't get those answers quickly. And when you have client portals, they can log in and get that information in the middle of the night if they need it. You know, if they're, if they're not sure when their next court date is, they can just check. They can log in, they can look at the calendar, and they can see when their next court appearance is. Rather than having to play tag with you, calling back and forth to try and figure out when their next court date is and whether they need to be there. So if you can provide, and the ability to just pay online using a credit card instead of having to come into the office to pay or mail in a check and wait for that check to clear your account and mm-hmm. know that you have this large outstanding check for your bank account. You know, it, when you, everything you can do to simplify your client's experience and streamline it, the better off you're going to be because you're going to end up with happier clients who are going to um, really appreciate the tech that you use. And, you know, we've uh, oftentimes that's, we've had lawyers, I, I work, you know, for my case and we provide case management software and we've had lawyers tell us that sometimes their clients will say like leave reviews online and say that one of the best parts of, uh, about working with my lawyer was that I could access my information from anywhere using this great system that they had. Yeah. So it, you know, it, it makes it easier and provides the client with a much more um, accessible and less frustrating experience. If you provide them with a technology um, that they're used to and the access that they're used to. Yeah, for sure. You know, I have not, so I'm not an attorney myself. Um, I work in digital marketing and I've, you know, relatively young, I've never had to hire an attorney for anything. Um, right. but one experience that, you know, makes me sort of relate to that uh, on the, the client, the, the client side is, you know, going to the doctor where I feel like the physician's offices are almost kind of similar to law firms where they tend to be just a little bit behind the curve and these kind of things. And, you know, I, whenever you go to the doctor, it seems like for, for a long time, at least it was like, they ask you your symptoms on the phone. Then you go in and fill out a form where you check all your symptoms. Then you finally get in the doctor's office and he's like, what are your symptoms? And, you know, when you're younger before, you know, some of these other just kind of more automated options became familiar in our lives. For me, that was just kind of how the doctor was. But, you know, I've noticed as I've gotten older, I have less patience for that. Um, and it seems like a lot of, you know, physicians' offices are, for that reason, also moving to patient portals. But one mm-hmm. thing I noticed, too, is that, you know, I have, it seems like all my, you know, healthcare uh, providers that I visit have these patient portals now. And I don't know if this is true in the legal space, but a lot of them are bad. I mean, it's, it's good that they're making steps to address some of these redundancies and make things a little more efficient. But it's, you know, I mean, a lot of the patient portals, like, it's hard to set up an account, and then you get in there, and it's like, the, the interface of it looks like 30 years old. And, you know, it's just, it's difficult to figure out, navigate and figure out, you know, where your information is that you want. Um, do you find that to be true with, uh, you know, legal client portals, too, that there's a lot of, you know, kind of, that attorneys need to be careful when they're evaluating their options for what they go with? Well, it definitely depends on the software provider. So <clears throat> what you're experiencing with the medical providers is those are huge hospital systems typically mm-hmm. working up with antiquated, uh, you know, the systems that they're working with are so uh, handle such massive amounts of data and have already been in existence for, you know, years and years and years. Um, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, they're very advanced with their um, technology, all things considered, but when it comes to the um, customer facing systems, that's where they really 
don't have a lot of experience, but all of those customer-facing systems are based on their older technologies that they right. were using for the back end. Mm -hmm. So a lot of them are server-based and they are older. And they, by the time they get around to making a decision to buy some sort of software that they've been evaluating, you know, they move it at snail's pace because they're large, <laughs> and then they adopt <laughs> it, but it's still server-based. Meanwhile, you have all these really nimble cloud tools out there, that, but they're not prepared to use them because yeah. of the nature of their records and the confidentiality issues and how large those um, uh, entities are. Um, and you'll sometimes you'll find the same thing happen sometimes with the larger law firms because they're still using server-based tools. But with solo and small law firms, this is where one area where they have a distinct advantage. A lot of them um, have the ability to be nimble and agile and to incorporate these newer software systems that are cloud-based into their firms. So when you use cloud-based software that's only been around for five years, which in cloud years is a long time, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know yep. in real-time years, it may not sound like nearly as long. Um, but when you use cloud computing software that's been around for about five years, what you're getting is really up-to-date software in terms of the um, interface and the design and the, um, the user, um, the UI, you know, the user interface. So those are actually, you know, that my case was um, created with a built-in portal. It was, I think it was one of the only um, mm -hmm. leading firm um, companies was had a built-in portal from the start. Others added them as they went. But, you know, the, um, what you need to do is test the software. All the different companies offer um, trial periods and see which user interface is the most intuitive to you, which one makes the most sense for your firm. If the portal's an important tool, does the, is the portal user-friendly and does it make sense to you? And I think that with a lot of the... Um, you know, the user interface for most of these um, web-based practice management systems is um, far more up-to-date than you're going to find with the premise-based solutions, but you really need to find the one that makes sense to you and is a good fit for you and your firm and the people in your firm that are going to be using it. Yeah. And, you know, that's maybe uh, attorneys who are listening who haven't, you know, made the jump and, you know, moved really any of their files to the cloud and gotten on the stuff. Maybe they can take heart that at least they can, you know, they're starting from a fresh slate, which sometimes, you know, when you're uh, trying to translate like an older legacy system and update it and move things, that can be a nightmare too. So maybe a silver lining there. Um, well, and some, some companies will help you migrate your software into. So that's another thing to look for when you're choosing a provider. Yeah. Got it. Um, so that's a good segue then we, we've touched on my case a little bit, you know, let's, let's talk about my case. Um, I know it's a, you know, a software and solution that's, you know, important to you. I know you're passionate about it. Um, and so can you tell me a little bit about my case? How long has it been around and, you know, what are some of the most important features? What does it do different than, you know, other options? Um, well, my case was founded in 2010. It was acquired by, um, Appfolio in 2012. And then Appfolio, um, it's a publicly traded company, had its IPO in 2015. And um, Appfolio is a company that has, um, the, the, the idea of the company is to have different SaaS verticals, so different software as a service products mm -hmm. for different verticals. So there's the property management software and the legal software. And the idea is to, um, in the future, the company's built on this idea that they're going to have these different software ver um, programs to help different um, people, uh, people in different industries run their businesses. So my case is part of the legal vertical. It was acquired in 2012. And what my case helps lawyers do is um, it helps them run the back end of their law practice. So 
it helps lawyers with their contacts, calendaring, um, time tracking so that they can enter their billable time from any internet-enabled device, um, invoicing, um, you can accept and um, process payments through my case, uh, credit card and um, uh, ACH, which is like e-checks. Um, and my case also helps lawyers, you know, there's the workflow feature that helps you um, every time for every intake procedure, or every PI case or every criminal law case, overlay those same set of deadlines and tasks every time a new case comes in. So you don't have to re-enter all those tasks and deadlines each time mm -hmm. or things that need to be done. Um, my case also helps lawyers. It's basically an online, easily online accessible one-stop shop for all the things that you need to do when it comes to running your law firm. And those are just some of the features that are available. Um, and it, it's because it's cloud-based, it's um, accessible 24-7, it's affordable. It's just a really great tool to help lawyers um, have all their information in one place, access it easily, and have a really good sense of what's happening in their law firm at any given time. Got it. And just curious, um, when, you, when lawyers are looking at my case, you know, is it, um, is it kind of a one-size-fits-all software program, or are they able to choose like components or aspects of it? Um, does it have like, you know, compatibility with any other kind of solutions? Well, the, um, my case is intended to have as much as possible, um, the features that you need built right into my case, because that way you end up with a seamless customer experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you know, um, we have key integrations that we find are the most important for our customers. So we have a Dropbox integration. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that's have, what I was asking, kind of getting at. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Dropbox, Google Apps, um, on Outlook cool. integration, QuickBooks. Um, so we have those integrations. We have payment processing built right into it, so we don't need a payment processing integration. And that's an example of one thing that um, we like that uh, Mikey's really likes to do is build the payment processing in rather than integrate it with a third-party provider. And the reason that we do that to the extent that we can is um, because it provides a seamless customer service experience. You're not you don't have two companies putting their fingers at each other when the integration mm -hmm. doesn't work or when you're having issues with it. You have one place to go to get your answers. Another benefit is um, it's the security issues. When you, every time you use a cloud computing provider, you need to vet that provider. And most of the different ethics opinions from the multiple jurisdictions require you to do so on a regular basis, typically annually. You know, check in with the provider and make sure nothing's changed since you vetted them previously in terms of how they handle your data, who has access to it, and the, um, how it's backed up and a whole list of issues, questions you're supposed to have them address. But when you have multiple integrations, you need to vet all of those different providers and understand how those integrations work and how the data is um, shared and who has access to it. So the more that this is built into the system, rather than having these integrations, the more secure it's going to be and the more seamless the experience is going to be. But then there are certain key integrations that are, um, you know, particularly important to our customers and that we um, have found are necessary. And so we certainly have some of those as well. Very cool. So you just touched on something I did want to talk about, um, which is cloud security. And I read um, from one blog article that you wrote um, a pretty startling statistic, and it was that one-third of law firms with from a range of 10 to 99 lawyers suffered a cyber breach in 2017. And basically the, the thrust of the article or the main thesis was that, 
you know, I think there was at least a, a cybersecurity expert saying, you know, in terms of a data breach, it's almost not a matter of if, but when, and you need to figure out, you need to have a plan in place that is going to help you respond to it. So it, that just makes me wonder, you know, is given that statistic and that kind of, I don't know, it's, not, it's almost kind of a grim outlook. Is there enough vetting that you can do to prevent a breach? Uh, is there any, is it, or is it just kind of like a, you know, you just need to prepare and because this is eventually going to happen. Well, that particular statistic was from the College of Law Practice Management conference that was held a couple of months ago. And it was actually, the definition of cyber breach included malware and um, phishing. And those are typically the weakest links, the employees clicking on links and emails, right. um, providing information in emails, thinking that it's a um, legitimate um you know, Microsoft page or something, rather that they click on a link in an email and then they go to a site to, and then to their um, password information. Um, so it actually isn't, the, the cyber breach statistic that you're citing isn't actually breaches where people hack into someone's database. It's more um, all these, um, uh, another one that they that's happening more and more frequently is where, um, I can't remember the exact term for it, but it's been happening a lot with real estate lawyers, which is where there's large amount of monies being transferred in a transaction and someone will um, copy someone, else, jump, they, they'll use somebody else's email credentials, essentially, mm -hmm. get in the middle of the um, discussion and tell them that the deposit bank account has changed and provide new deposit bank account information. And it looks like it's coming from one of the lawyers that's involved in the transaction, but it's actually a spoofed email account. Okay. And so some lawyers have lost millions of dollars oh, in a situation like that because they've deposited into the new bank account, and mm -hmm. <laughs> which really is a fraudulent. Uh, it's someone who's not part of the transaction who's inserting this information into the middle of it. So when it comes when it when you're talking about cyber breaches, it's more a matter of rather than hacking into a system, it's more a matter of people getting tricked into providing information um, by these um, fraud. You know. Uh, by these sophisticated um, scammers. So in those, oftentimes what lawyers really need to do is educate their employees, yeah. um, stay on top of changes in tech and follow blogs on a regular basis and you know try to make it a part of their day to spend 10 minutes a day reading some legal technology blogs and um, staying on top of these the news, including these types of uh, bar associations and bloggers will write about these things as they happen. So that way they can understand that this is a scam that's been happening and tell their employees about it and make and exercise extra care. So while that statistic was true, um, it actually didn't refer to people hacking in and it was more to the people um, getting scammed Got it. <laughs> and providing information unknowingly. Okay. I see. The calls are coming from inside the house. Um, <laughs> right. Um, one more thing I wanted to touch on uh, while we still have a little bit of time left. Um, we, we briefly touched on AI and I know you've gone out of your way um, in some other presentations you've given in, on AI and law firms to make the point that, you know, law firms can benefit from automation without actually having to have access to, you know, sophisticated AI. But I am curious, you know, if, if we are talking about, you know, stri actually strictly AI, um, what are some of the most exciting developments in that area and some ways that, you know, in maybe the near future, the next five, 10 years, you could see it you know, actually affecting the way that, you know, maybe your, your typical law firm, at least your more forward thinking law firm does business. What are some of the options and, 
you know, upcoming developments there? Well, it's definitely already happening. Um, this is a really exciting time in terms of AI because the technology is coming to fruition. Um, the tools that are needed to make it actually useful are um, coming of age and being utilized in really exciting ways. So there's really three or four categories where you're really seeing um, interesting and um, uh, really useful AI tools being rolled out. So there's um, data analytics. And so data analytics, um, legal research, and um, uh, contract analysis. Those are some of the areas that I find most interesting. What data analytics does is um, for litigators um, and, and especially in larger law firms, but also people that handle complex litigation as an um, area of, uh, within their smaller law firms, it allows you to, all this data has been collected for years about all these cases that have been pending in the court systems. And the data is parsed and then it provides you with information about how a particular judge has ruled on different types of motions in different types of cases. So mm -hmm. you'll know if you bring this particular type of motion in front of this judge, how often the judge declines it. And in some cases, it may be 100% of the time, but another procedural way to sort of get the same thing accomplished, if you bring it in a different way, you may be able to sort of accomplish your goal in a more unusual way that the judge is going to look at more favorably. So it provides you with that information on judges. It provides you with information on expert witnesses, um, opposing parties, um, other law firms. So you can get information on how often an expert witness has testified in a particular type of case, on what side, whether their testimony has been admitted, whether it um, has been precluded and on what grounds. You can get information on how many times a law firm's handled a particular type of case, um, how they've done all the information, you know, and you can break that down and see like what experts did they get, um, what motions did they bring. So all this data that's sort of been dumped in hasn't there's been so much of it and there's been no way to make sense of it. AI is now able to sort of pull that all out really quickly and provide really useful information to litigators in the data analytics areas. And then legal research, um, LexisNexis and Thomson Reuters are doing some really interesting things with legal research because they're the ones that have the um, data. And mm -hmm. now that they're, um, they've made some, some of them, have, LexisNexis has made some really interesting acquisitions and Thomson Reuters has, um, you know, added a lot to their, um, a lot of tools um, that have provided these AI abilities. And when they apply that to the research, they're starting to find ways to make the research a lot more useful for lawyers. Um, and then there are some smaller companies that are rolling out research tools that allow lawyers to upload a brief. And then from like um, Case Text has Kara and uh, Ross Intelligence has Eva, I think it's called. And mm -hmm. they, those tools are up very similar and they allow you to upload a brief and then it analyzes the brief, it analyzes the cases cited in the brief and takes them in context and then provides you with other um, legal research information that might be useful other cases um, that would be relevant given the context of that particular brief. So that's really interesting um, and exciting. And then the last area is um, contract analytics. So Law Geeks is one company that's done that. I've written about some of the others in my ABA journal column. Um, but what Contracts Analytics does is allows you to upload a specific type of contract. So um, let's just say a covenant not to compete. Your client has a covenant not to compete that they want you to look over and um, you know, review the contract for them. You upload it and it compares it to the hundreds of thousands of other 
covenant not to competes that are in its database and it will tell you the outlier sections either here's a paragraph that's missing that's always included or these three paragraphs in this particular contract are um, rarely appear in other contracts mm -hmm. so it kind of highlights those instantaneously for you yeah. so that you have a sense of what parts of this contract really stand out and um, you can hone in on those so those are three areas where ai is really interesting and in providing a lot of um, really cool tools for lawyers and um, sort of accessing all this data and providing really useful information and chopping down the time that they need to actually do some of the more tedious aspects of their work. Yeah. And, you know, one one other area that um, I could speak to that we are exploring at LaFleur is also using AI on the marketing and business development side of a law firm. So using AI for things like, you know, lead scoring and identifying you know, characteristics that are common to clients who, you know, have the most valuable cases and uh, things like that. And that's where I'm also happy to plug, you know, a solution like Bycase because it makes our lives so much easier when attorneys actually gather data and have it in a way that they can export and that we can view it, you know, um, in without like pouring through, you know, their handwritten records or whatever. Um, and as we start to implement the AI machine learning sort of, you know, solutions on our side, um, that's only going to be more true. So I think there's a lot of benefit to be had on that side for, you know, the, the litigation side, but also the marketing and business development side, um, too, for attorneys who are, you know, um, moving to these, these cloud-based solutions and then setting themselves up for maybe to being able to take some of the advantage of the developments in AI and machine learning. Yeah, that's an interesting use, too. I hadn't thought about that one. Yeah, mm -hmm. interesting. Okay, Nikki Black is the technology evangelist for MyCase. MyCase is an all-in-one solution that provides the tools law firms need to improve organization, increase efficiency, and scale their firm's operations. And if you want to learn more about MyCase, you can just head to their website at mycase.com, where you'll also find some fascinating blog articles written by Nikki. And if you want to learn more about Nikki herself, you can head to her professional website, that's at NicoleBlackESQ.com. And we'll provide links to both of those sites in the show notes. Nikki, thanks so much for coming on the show. We had a great time talking to you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's it for this episode of Legal Marketing Radio. As always, if you've got a question or a suggestion for the podcast, just send an email to radio at lafleur.marketing, and we'll do our best to address it. And don't forget to check back for new episodes every month. As always, thanks for tuning in to Legal Marketing Radio from LaFleur. Mm -hmm.